Hey, it's Joyce. Every week, I have the chance to chat with an interesting, inspiring human and to share that conversation with you. Join me as I walk and talk with entrepreneurs, adventurers, and all sorts of people who are working hard to empower women and make the world a better place. Now listen, this is not some highly polished, formally produced podcast. It's just two humans out for a walk with the chance to learn from each other. So lace up your sneakers, head out the door, and join us. Hey everyone, Joyce here, welcoming you to this very special walk and talk on World Sleep Day, where our guest is Dr. Harsha Shantha. He is a board-certified physician in pulmonary medicine, sleep medicine, and critical care medicine, who has his practice in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we are going to talk all things health and sleep. Dr. Shanta, welcome, and thank you for being here. Well, Joyce, it's a great uh, honor and a pleasure to be on your podcast. Uh, so thank you for having me. Um, so I'm so curious. Yeah, uh, I'm curious. How did you get interested in sleep as it relates to the rest of our health and wellness? Well, I mean, as part of our training, I mean, uh, initially you go through a period of uh, after residency uh, training, you go through fellowship, which is uh, what I did was pulmonary and critical care. So through that part of the journey, uh, sleep medicine uh, came to the fore sort of uh, a few decades ago, and uh, that was incorporated into our fellowship. So that was my first foray into uh, sleep medicine um, as part of the training. And so once you uh, finish your fellowship and go into practice, I mean, you basically see uh, uh, patients with uh, disorders related to sleep. So and that's how it started. Um, but and, but Dr. Sh- wait, Dr. Shanta, I've got to interrupt you because you could have done anything. I mean, there's so many different avenues of medicine to pursue. Was there, what was it about sleep that kind of captured your curiosity or your interest? Um, well, I mean, I was always interested in ICU and pulmonary medicine. So uh, sleep uh, just is kind of a tag along to the uh, part of the program. So I, I can't say 25, 30 years ago I had special interest in sleep per se, but uh, uh, it, just through part of training and uh, practice, it just uh, piqued my interest, and that's how uh, uh, it, it's grown. And I think that's the same for uh, most uh, physicians who practice uh, in the specialty. Uh, sleep medicine is kind of a, 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 a not a old field. I mean, sleep medicine has been around for only for like four or five decades, I guess. Uh, so before 1970s, uh, I mean, not many people knew about sleep medicine as a specialty or there was none. So uh, it's only in the last few decades. So most of us uh, pulmonologists are also trained in sleep medicine. So that's how uh, we get uh, kind of acquainted. And uh, some people have special interests. And as part of my practice, I just uh, see a lot of uh, patients who have sleep disorders, unfortunately. And um, that's how it's been uh, for the last uh, two decades. And what what is that connection? What's the connection between sleep and pulmonary medicine? Uh, I think it's uh, sleep medicine is basically a, a specialty which is uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, incorporated into certain fields. One being uh, pulmonary medicine, and the other one being neurology and psychology and psychiatry and stuff like that. But uh, 
Uh, I think a lot of uh, the patient population we see um, with lung disorders also have uh, some sort of uh, sleep-related problems. So I think that was the that was the reason why sleep medicine is sort of incorporated. Um, but uh, in, in just day-to-day practice, unfortunately, I see a lot of patients with lung problems who also have sleep-related uh, issues. I mean, that could be the same uh, for a lot of other medical illnesses, but. Uh, uh, for whatever reason, pulmonologists have be, have had special interest in uh, sleep medicine, and it's kind of incorporated into the uh, fellowship and training part of it. Um, so I guess uh, that's the starting point. And then, uh, again, uh, some physicians just uh, keep doing sleep medicine because of their interest or other reasons, uh, and uh, some start... Uh, uh, to go the other way, just doing pulmonary and critical care and stuff like that. So it just depends on your uh, interest levels and in dealing with uh, that kind of uh, patient population. So we were chatting just for a couple of minutes before we went live today, and I shared with you that I have I'm a pretty good sleeper. I generally have been, and every time I talk to people, like I'm so surprised that so many people struggle with their sleep. And you shared a statistic with me about Americans and sleep that I sort of stopped you because I wanted to be sure we shared that with everybody. Can we talk a little bit about how pervasive sleep poor, I'll just put it sort of classified as poor sleep is. Yeah, I think, I mean, the the statistic goes something like 45% of uh, US population have some kind of sleep disorder or the other and in general don't sleep well. Uh, some of it may be disorders or some of it may be um, based on other issues, uh, societal or work-related stuff that they may have, not have a particular disease, but the uh, our, our modern lifestyle and stuff makes you not sleep as well. So, um, so in general, diseases apart uh, are included um, close to half of the U.S. population struggle to sleep well. Um, quantity or quality or both. Um, that's what the statistics say. But uh, uh, as far as the disorders goes, I mean, when I was in fellowship, uh, for example, our most common sleep disorder, obstructive sleep apnea, for example, uh, they used to say um, 4% of the population had. But uh, that number is kind of, as we diagnose and treat more and more people has uh, gone up significantly. I mean, to the order of, uh, now they say about 15 to 30% of males have sleep apnea and women, and since your listening population is a big chunk of it, 15% of of women have sleep apnea. So that's a big number. And if you look at the world population, it's estimated something like a billion people have some sort of sleep disorder breathing. Not not just lack of sleep, but just a disorder related to uh, sleeping. So that's a, a enormous number, uh, if you think of it, um, which um, people have to deal with. Uh, a lot of it is undiagnosed and untreated. So it, there's a lot of uh, um, lack of education and awareness, which is uh, what podcasts like yours um, brings to the fore. So I'm really happy about it. So a lot to unpack there. I want to go back to something that you said, and that is, and I, I'm, I didn't write it down, so I'm going to get it not exactly right, but societal forces, the way we're living, 
seems to be contributing to some of this sleep disruption. Is that fair? And if so, like, what are we doing wrong? Uh, I think uh, modern lifestyles have uh, a lot to do with it. I mean, I think, uh, you know, work and social commitments, uh, family commitments, I mean, all those things come in the way of uh, having a good continuous, uh, good quality of sleep. Um, so those are things uh, as an individual you could change, but uh, uh, would our lifestyle allow that? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you got to make a um, individual commitment to address those things. But, um, yeah, I mean, work, having to get up a certain time of the day or, uh, you know, social commitments, uh, having to stay up uh, for a party or uh, having to take care of family and stuff like that. So those are all things. And that's apart from the things we indulge in, um, you know, different kinds. Um, that's a, a totally uh, different story. But all those things, I mean, affect uh, your um, quality and quantity. So one, it will not give us enough time to sleep, and then um, there are things which uh, affect uh, which uh, the, affect the quality of sleep um, by intruding in various forms. So, so, so there's a lot of things. Uh, but go ahead. I mean, there are a lot of things. I mean, you can't just uh, blanket it, but I mean, uh, but again, it, it depends on the individual. I mean, so um, uh, specific individuals have different things to deal with, which affects the, the sleep uh, as far as lifestyle is concerned. So it sounds like some of us, and obviously everybody's different, we can't make blanket statements, but it sounds like some of us are just putting too much on our plate and not giving ourselves enough time, just sheer, sheer time to sleep. And it's funny because I've, I used to work with a lot of uh, moms. That was the audience with whom I worked for many, many years. And honestly, like I was just shocked to hear so many women, so many moms talking about how like they would start a day, a work day, or a, a work day at home at like nine o'clock at night. I just... I, maybe we're just doing too much, some of us. Is that you think? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, uh, I mean, our work hours are long. I mean, and then you come back to family, and you have to take care of family, um, and then um, obviously all the entertainment in the form of TV or the mobiles and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, you don't give your body enough time to rest and recuperate. Um, um, so the, the, that's part of what, what we call uh, insufficient sleep syndrome. So basically you're not giving enough time um, for the body to rest. Um, so how much time do we need? Are there some general guidelines and is everyone different? I think the general guidelines, everyone is different, I would say. But uh, once you're adult, I mean, um, you know, you, you need anywhere from six to nine hours, I would say. So um, generally, maybe seven to eight hours, probably a good number. But uh, if, if you sleep less, there's a problem. If you sleep more, there's a problem. That's what studies have shown. So uh, I would say anywhere from six to eight hours would be a good sleep uh, quantity-wise. Um, and the quality, again, uh, varies. So um, if you have different sleep disorders, that may be impacted. Um, yeah, for most adult people, I think six to eight hours would be a good time. But uh, again, it's you got to 
quantify it based on how you feel when you wake up in the morning or how your day goes uh, with that amount of sleep. So you may sleep for six hours and feel great when you wake up in the morning and then do great to the rest of the day. And that may be all you need for some people. Um, but then there are others um, who may need seven or eight hours to get that uh, quality uh, of uh, sleep and restfulness. Um, so I would say it's probably individualized. Um, and again, as we look through a lot of the big data and stuff like that, I think uh, we learn more and more uh, as a population. So I actually have a really fundamental question, which has always sort of perplexed me. Why do we need sleep at all? It just seems really, if you look at it from sort of an evolutionary standpoint, right? Shouldn't we be evolving to need less and less sleep so we can do more and more? Like, it's hard to sort of get past the idea that we're, I hate to use this expression, but like we're wasting time when we're sleeping. Why in the world yeah, do we I mean, need uh, sleep? Yeah, we've, we've spent about a third of our lifetime uh, in, in sleep. I mean, uh, yeah, it seems like it's a wasteful time. We could be doing a lot of other things. Um, no, unfortunately, the body needs rest, and um, you know there are a lot of reparative uh, uh, processes which go on, uh, including your brain, your uh, um, you know all your organ system, your hormonal systems, and stuff like that. So there's a lot of uh, physiology um, behind. Um, just like anything else, I mean, you can't keep going uh, on and on. So you just need sleep. So uh, the body the human body just needs that rest to repair a lot of the things which go on during uh, daytime i mean it's not like it's inactive there's active physiological processes going on in your brain in your body but uh it's it's good uh to have that or it's, it's needed to have that to restore your um health and uh sort of uh uh health of your cells in particular and uh, general body and body in general so yeah, it's not wasted the time. Even though sometimes it feels that way. I'm wondering, yeah. is there any research, because I haven't seen it, but I suspect it's out there, on sleep and longevity? Do people who sleep better tend to live longer and healthier, or has nobody really looked at that? Oh, uh, I, I think, I mean, uh, I'm not sure there's any specific data, but uh, I was just listening to something uh, a few weeks ago. And there's this um, there's these studies which show on EEGs, for example, on electroencephalograms, your brain imaging, um, which suggests that if it shows that there are patterns of uh, EEG uh, um, findings which we see from kids to grown-ups to adults. So if they see something, uh, the the picture is that of an older person than their um, chronological age. There is data that those people are um, tend to die sooner. So basically, that means if you're not sleeping well, um, which may be part of it as you grow older sometimes, uh, that does not portend to good longevity in the long run. But um, I think you can say indirectly because sleep deprivation causes a lot of short-term and long-term effects. Um, there's definitely a mortality um, uh, sort of benefit in people who sleep better and people who are sleep deprived. There's all these disease processes which happen, which certainly shorten your life expectancy. 
So uh, I, I'm not sure there's any specific studies that say if you sleep for eight hours, you live longer or whatever. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. I'm not aware of that. But indirectly, you can extrapolate uh, sleep deprivation causing numerous disorders. We can talk about it at length, but certainly that will uh, limit your life expectancy. So one of the one of the concerns I have, and I've experienced this, of course, myself personally, and I don't think I'm alone in this, is that feeling when you're having difficulty sleeping, and then you get yourself all caught up in how terrible it is, right? So I feel like, to some extent, by reminding people over and over again how important it is for sleep, I wonder if we're adding pressure that's that's actually counter in yeah not helpful you know does that make any sense yeah i mean most people i mean who don't have any sleep disorders don't have that problem i mean once in a way you feel like oh i can't sleep today i mean that's to do with what you did what you uh partook as far as uh uh, you know stimulants or whatever or uh what your brain went through anxiety and stuff like that which does that but uh most people should be able to fall asleep within 10, 15 minutes. And if you are not able to, then there's some kind of a problem. And that's the problem with most insomniacs. So they have problem with sleep onset. Um, I mean, for most general population, I mean, you may have a few days here and there, but uh, if you're having that problem day in, day out, or night in, night out, that's the problem. Uh, so you're right about the anxiety part. So yeah, if you can't sleep, it perpetuates anxiety, which makes it harder to sleep. That's uh, one of the big problems with uh, uh, patients who have insomnia. And um, so medications uh, certainly are not a solution to those problems. I mean, most people resort to medications. Um, That's where a lot of these behavioral therapy, what we call cognitive behavioral therapy comes into play. Um, So, I mean, one of the things we uh, discuss with patients who have insomnia is uh, to try to reduce those stressors or the anxiety promoting things including just like watching your clock in the bedroom and things like that mm-hmm. problematic good idea uh, it you're absolutely right about those things becoming uh, more and more anxiety provoking and making it more difficult to fall asleep so there's a lot of these uh sorry good no go ahead so there's a lot of these uh, therapies we incorporate in behavioral therapy, which uh, tries to reduce those uh, kind of uh, uh, situations. So you you were referring to sleep onset, uh, and what about the people who fall asleep okay and then find themselves up in the middle of the night? Is that a different kind of sort of situation and dynamic? It is. I mean, that's also what what we call sleep maintenance insomnia. I mean, that could be related to a sleep uh, breathing disorder, like sleep apnea, for example, or it could be other disorders related to what we call leg movement disorders, uh, or it could be something else. That's where a sleep study will really help uh, uh, differentiate those kind of things. Um, yeah, those are the hard ones to treat where somebody wakes up at like 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning can go to bed. But again, um, behavioral therapies tend to help um, those kind of people. So there's not, again, too many medications which will solve those problems. But uh, yeah, those have to be kind of uh, evaluated in a uh, by a sleep physician in more detail by, before coming to a, a, 
uh, non-specific diagnosis. And what what do you think of all the sleep trackers out there these days? And I'll I'll tell you I'll share my my personal story around uh, using a sleep tracker briefly, you know, maybe for about a week. So a friend of mine who works for a company that actually makes these things gifted me one of these trackers and. As I as I've alluded to, I'm a pretty good sleeper. It's not a obviously I have my bad nights for sure, but generally I'm a pretty good sleeper. And I got really caught up in looking at my data and tracking my data and thinking about my data, and it was not helpful to me. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's uh, exciting to have these trackers. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, gadgets coming into the market these days, which is good. I mean. But I think with anything like that, I mean, you can't just rely uh, on one thing. Um, so my advice would be, I mean, look at the data. I mean, if it helps you in some ways to detect something specific. But um, if you're sleeping, uh, going to sleep well, I mean, easily and waking up rested after six to eight hours, and irrespective of what the gadget says, I mean, I, I wouldn't pay too much credence to it. Um, but if you're having trouble sleeping and it shows some stuff, then maybe it needs to be evaluated in a proper uh, sleep lab or see a sleep physician. Um, is that, so is the one that thing data I, helpful to to you and to other sleep physicians? Do you look at yeah, – so if, I mean, uh, if, say, a person sort of showed up and said, like, I have one of these devices, I've been tracking my sleep for a month, here's what it shows, and I feel like crap – is that useful data for physicians? Yeah, I think so. It's a, it's a good starting point. I think, I mean, I have patients who bring them their uh, phones and the rings. I mean, they have all these uh, rings you can wear. And then there's um, data from smart beds and stuff like that. Yeah, people bring that kind of stuff. So I think it's a good starting point, And it helps um, kind of add to their historical perspectives. Um, so I, I wouldn't discount it completely, but uh, it has to be, uh, complemented with the other um, specific modalities to evaluate. Um, like I said, um, as I say this, I think you sleep well, Joyce, because you walk a lot. So walking is a great uh, chill. So I think that's why you sleep well. Most people, are, I, most of us, don't do that well. <laughs> so. I, I have no doubt. Yeah. So let's. Um, that would be great. Let's talk for a moment about the connection between. Uh, movement, physical activity, sleeping, and also I'm really curious if you have any thoughts around the value of being outdoors, walking early in the morning to sort of set your circadian rhythm. Like, does it matter when you walk for the sake of your sleep health? Um, I think it does, but if you have to, if you can find an only time in the evening to walk, that's okay too. But um... Yeah, early morning walk with uh, sunlight exposure would definitely help uh, set your circadian rhythm in a proper way and would help you with uh, not able to sleep at night and stuff like that. Uh, whereas uh, if you walk in summertime at 9 p.m., 9.30, with bright sunlight in New York, uh, probably may set off your circadian rhythm in the wrong way. Um, but still, I would take exercise in the evening versus no exercise at all. Mm. But uh, you're right, sunlight exposure and walking probably uh, both complementary to sleeping well at night. Um, but walking just at, in the evening is better than not walking at all to help you sleep, if that makes sense. 
Um, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, as I often but, say, all walking is good walking. It's good, yeah. But but generally, if you expose yourself to light uh, in the evening time, uh, which could be a problem in summer, uh, it sets off your circadian rhythm. It delays your circadian rhythm a little bit. So um, your body's ability to kind of uh, unwind and rest may be dampened a little bit. Um, but again, it's, it's very individual. I mean, our academy sometimes uh, it comes up with the, these... Um, sleep hygiene and stuff like that. One of the things the list is do not have vigorous exercise five, six hours before going to bed. I mean, it may be good for most people, but, uh, you know, there may be people who uh, exercise half an hour, an hour before and still go to bed. I mean, so that shouldn't uh, prevent them from doing those things. But if you work out and you can go to sleep, then you shouldn't be doing that. Um, but generally avoiding vigorous activity, not walking uh, before going to sleep may not be very conducive. But again, it has to be individualized. I think we've all heard the phrase circadian rhythm, but could you educate us a little bit on what really that means when we hear that? What exactly are we talking about? Yeah, well, uh, circadian rhythm is uh, it's, it's something to do with your uh, biological clock. So all animals, I mean, including humans, have these inbuilt, have this inbuilt biological clock. So ours is set like uh, less than 24 hours. So it has to complement the sun time or the daytime and nighttime cycles. So as long as uh, those are in tune, um, most people don't have a problem. Um, when the biological clock is not in tune with the the sunlight and the nighttime uh, 24-hour cycle clock, then most people tend to have uh, problems, uh, not just one day at a time, but if it happens consistently, that that's when you start having uh, problems um, with uh, misalignment is what we call between the two clocks. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And before we let you go, because 30 minutes goes really, really fast talking about something as interesting and uh, complicated, honestly, as our sleep cycles and quality of sleep. But I want to talk about one of my favorite things. And I want to know if you are pro or con the value of naps. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, naps are good, uh, I think, for most people. If you're taking a nap, it's uh, your body is telling you something. That means uh, you're in debt of your sleep. Basically, you've not had uh, good sleep preceding night or the nights before and stuff like that. Um, So if you slept for about five hours or four hours the night before, taking a nap would definitely help. I mean, kind of overcome the uh, sleep debt that you incurred the the night before, the nights before. but there's some data which suggests uh, people who nap uh, for 60 to 90 minutes uh, feel better. And generally, when you nap, I mean, obviously, you, 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 I mean, you've done that. When you nap, you dream. So when you dream, you're going into what they call REM sleep, and that's helpful uh, to help brighten up your mood. Uh, so again. Um, it, it's all good, but uh, if you're napping daily after sleeping um, eight hours, then maybe that's not a uh, healthy sign. That means there's something wrong with the quality of sleep you're having. 
but um, if you're just trying to restore your quantity of a good sleep by, when you didn't sleep well or didn't have the time to sleep well, then that's good. So yeah, nap people tend to be more happy and less angry, um, but uh, there may be underlying problems if they're napping every day, even after six to eight hours of sleep on the previous night. So that may be a poor tender for other problems. But uh, make, once in a way, if you, you make, nap, it's all good. You made reference to something that um, I've actually heard and read conflicting things about. Uh, so I want to ask you at least one more thing, and I don't want to let you go, but one more thing around this idea of sleep debt, right? We all know people who go really hard during the week, sacrifice their sleep, and then try to make up that sleep on the weekends. And I've heard that that works and that that doesn't work. Can you make up your sleep debt? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, as long as it's short term, it's good. I mean, um, you know, if you had to work extra hours uh, the week before and trying to incorporate uh, extra sleep on the weekend, that may be a good thing. It's better than nothing. But if you're doing it, doing it uh, on a weekly basis or a, a, a long term basis, uh, that may not be good. Basically, that uh, is your body, you're putting your body through sleep deprivation, and uh, sleep deprivation causes a lot of chronic problems. Um, so, short term, I would say to recuperate the sleep debt is a good thing. Um, if it's just a week in, week out, but if you're doing it on a monthly basis, on, on a long term basis, probably not a good idea. Uh, but uh, Short short term, it's good. It it definitely is uh, helpful. So interesting. Oh my gosh, I have so many more questions. If people want to learn more about you and your clinic in Chattanooga and your wisdom, where out in the world can they find you? Oh well, thank you. Well, physically, we're located on uh, what's called a Brainerd Road in Chattanooga. Um, but uh, they can find us on uh, the website at uh, pulmonarysleepcha.com uh, or uh, send an email to connect at uh, psicha.com. Uh, it's pulmonarysleepinstitutecha.com. So, yeah, we'll be ha happy to uh, educate people and uh, try to take care uh, of uh, people's health in general. Um, so our motto is uh, breathe easy and sleep healthy. So. Breathing and sleeping is a, a big a part of us, um, one individual's health. So whatever it takes, education or uh, hopefully less of medication, uh, uh, you know, tips to help uh, improve would be the way to go uh, as far as I'm concerned. So, Love it. Thank you so much for walking with us today. We will be including all of those links to connect with Dr. Shampa in the show notes. Uh, and continue to share the value of good sleep. So thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your time so much today. Thank you for joining us for today's Walk and Talk. Catch new episodes featuring inspiring guests every week in the 99 Walks app and all the places podcasts live. Until then, I wish you happy trails.